When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis and all the topics you're debating, you want to hear about and you want some information on. As usual, I'm joined by Duncan Castles, I'm Ian McGarry and, of course... We start with news, breaking news, because Alexis Sanchez is now the subject of a transfer bid by Internazionale uh, of Milan. Um, The representatives of the club have been in Manchester since Sunday, attempting to sort out a deal which will take the Chilean forward to Serie A. Duncan, what's the latest that's happened in this particular uh, transfer, which has kind of been on and off, I think, over the last seven days? Yeah, this has very much been driven by Antonio Conte again. Um, Antonio Conte, who got Romelu Lukaku out of Manchester United to enter by pressuring um, his new club to do that deal, saying he was uh, crucial to his plans for the season. Um, He's now insisting that they uh, bring Alexis Sanchez as well um, to add to their attack. Um, I'm hearing that Inter are very confident that they can complete this deal. which isn't surprising because we know Manchester United um, would like to get uh, Sanchez out. We know Sanchez is unhappy there, um, so the pieces are in place. Um, there is one obvious problem, which is Sanchez's huge salary at Manchester United, which would make him, by some margin, the, be- the best-paid player at Inter. And understandably, Inter do not want to pay that salary in full. Um, I think it's unlikely Um, that Sanchez will take a pay cut to go to Inter. So you're looking at a situation where Manchester United are being asked to subsidise the players' wages um, while he goes to Inter. And there's obviously precedent for this, as United did that with Wayne Rooney, um, to get him out of the club and get him to Everton um, a couple of seasons ago. Um, The deal, I'm told, that uh, has been... Um, discussed is for a loan on uh, for this season um, on a, a small loan fee with uh, Inter having an obligatory option to buy in a year's time for around 15 million euros which would help them with um, their financial fair play because they won't have two um, transfer fees, uh, Lukaku and um, Sanchez uh, on the same year's accounts. Uh, they're confident they're going to get this through um, it's part of kind of a, a merry-go-round of Italian um, forwards that uh, a lot of which has been driven by Inter that we've talked about before in the podcast. Inter still trying to get rid of Mauro Icardi. Um, they've been trying to shift him to, to Roma um, and had a deal with Roma to take Eden Zeko. Um, 
in exchange for Icardi in cash. Icardi refused to go there. Uh, Icardi is insisting on moving to Juventus, um, the one club that Inter don't want to sell him to because they, they, Juventus are direct rivals for the title. I'm also told that Conte wants to bring in Fernando Llorente, um, the Tottenham ex-Tottenham striker, as a free agent to complete his attack once, um, once they've managed to get Icardi off the books. Um, and then I think Ian, you can tell us about what's happening with Juventus in terms of their uh, attempts to change their uh, attacking lineup and move strikers around that are also involved in these discussions. Indeed, there's quite a, a, a catalyst of um, action happening in the, the north of, of that beautiful country of Italy. Uh, Paulo Dybala, who we know has uh, been in negotiations with both Manchester United and Spurs previously, before the transfer window in England closed, is now close to joining Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, he, I think, uh, is still slightly uh, uncertain about moving away from Turin. However, uh, my information is that um, Dybala's brother and agent has met with PSG officials who are willing to pay the player two and a half times his current net salary, which would be around 210 million euros net uh, 210, sorry, 1,000 euros. It would be lovely if he was on 210 million. 210,000 euros per week net uh, to go to the French champions. And, of course, that would see um, a replacement potentially for Neymar, of course, who is still subject to bids from both Barcelona and Real Madrid. So the ball to PSG resolves the um, question of a replacement for the Brazilian um, striker-stroke attacking midfielder. Dybala himself, as I said, has some um, resistance to leaving Juventus. However, um, as we have reported previously in the podcast, uh, the financial demands that the player and his agent were making, um, his brother, obviously, Gustavo, um, when he was in negotiations with both Manchester United and Tottenham, uh, were the stumbling block to any deal being completed. However, PSG have agreed to those personal terms and it's now about simply agreeing the transfer fee, which I believe will be around 75 million euros uh, from Juventus. Again, freeing that money up uh, so that uh, Juventus themselves can then reinvest potentially for Icardi, Duncan. Although, as we said, you said, Icardi is someone who uh, Inter don't want to sell to Juventus. And of course, in this whole merry-go-round as well, we can't forget Felipe Coutinho, who has today agreed to join Bayern Munich on one for one season from Barcelona, which again, Duncan frees up the wages and the salary cap for Neymar. Yeah, this is uh, it's an interesting move that uh, Barcelona have made there. And it, it's kind of, um, as it's explained to me, it was sort of a competitive move um, in terms and a way of, of trying to stop Madrid taking Neymar um, from PSG. And uh, so the explanation I've had was that Gareth Bale um, was close to joining Bayern Munich on loan, um, which of course is something Madrid would uh, welcome as it would remove that uh, 21 million euros net basic salary from their books and create space on their legal salary cap that would allow them to bring Neymar in, assuming of course Neymar agreed to the transfer, Neymar's preference being to move to Barcelona. Barcelona also have a Liga salary cap issue, as we told you um, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. They've been trying to shift Coutinho to create space for Neymar. They've managed to do that 
by sending him to Bayern Munich. It's a, a loan deal with a, a proper option to buy. The option to buy, I'm told, is for 120 million euros in one year's time. The loan fee is 18 million euros for the season, and Bayern also cover all of Coutinho's substantial wages for the season. Um, but the key, one of the key elements for Barcelona is that by moving Coutinho to Bayern, they prevent Madrid from moving Bale to Bayern, and therefore they have the, the space in their salary cap for Neymar, and in their reckoning that, that they hope will force PSG to accept that they have to let Neymar go to Barcelona rather than their preferred option, which is to send them to Madrid. As I said, the player wants to go to Barcelona, is prepared to take a pay cut to go there. Lionel Messi pushing the, the club and the directors to make it happen. Neymar a long time ago asking Lionel Messi for his help on that. Um, Qatar ready to sell Neymar. Um, it's getting closer, it seems, uh, to being resolved. But um, as we've said all along in the podcast, when you're dealing with numbers of this scale, uh, egos of this scale, um, political issues, you know, the nation, the pride of a nation state involved, and uh, our favourite um, Nepai, um, the man who, who always finds a way to get the most out of a transfer deal involving his son. Um, I don't think you wait. You wait until the, all the contracts are signed before um, stating where he actually will be for this coming season. I got this image in my head, Duncan, and I know that our listeners know that I often get these images in my head, um, of a chessboard. <laughs> and we've got Alexis Sanchez, Neymar, Dybala, Coutinho, Icardi, as well as the uh, other players in this particular um, game of, of uh, football war. So you've got the agents, you've got the administrators, you know, Beppe Marotta, you've got, um, obviously, Nepai, you've got Alexis Sanchez's brother as well in this uh, sorry, Dybala's brother, Alexis Sanchez's agent as well. They're all lining up against each other, trying to outmaneuver each other in terms of where they all end up and who gets what and who wins this particular game. Seems to me that so far, Neymar's ahead of the game. Coutinho's a bit of a loser in terms of like he probably didn't want to go to Bayern Munich, but he's been kind of forced out by being told that you are supposed to requirements and when Neymar comes back here, then you're not even going to play anyway. Um, Dybala's slightly reticent about moving forward. He's like, you know, some kind of uh, bishop looking at his angles and wondering which one to take. And, of course, you've got Alexis Sanchez, who, if he had the opportunity, would be, I guess, some kind of king. But you obviously have to have Atom and Humber's dogs on a league <laughs> beside him on the board saying, take me in the right direction, boys. You know what I should be doing. <laughs> and, and, and Antonio Conte, of course. Uh, yes. He would forcing... definitely be a bishop. Forcing, forcing his king and queen to, to bend to his will and, and give him the, uh, the pieces he wants to, to win the game with Juventus. It is, it's so multidimensional and you've got the club-to-club conflict with Juventus and Inter, which is stopping some of the obvious moves happening. Um, Juventus still have this problem with Higuain, who is refusing to go anywhere else and is stuck with his high wages there, and Mario Mandzukic, who they tried to offload to Manchester United as part of that Dybala deal, got quite close to doing, but in the end that fell through, so they've got Mandzukic, Higuain and Dybala 
um, causing a problem for Sari. Sari himself, who would prefer to keep Dybala. Um, Dybala scored a great goal at the weekend for Juventus, and the, the suggestion is that um, if nothing happens with this PSG deal, if it's not resolved, Sari would like to actually start Dybala for the first um, Serie A game uh, as Juventus manager. Um, so yeah, there's so many elements and so much money involved. Um, as a, you know, I was talking to someone about this this morning, and he said it's uh, it's increasingly hard to sell players these days um, because they're paid so much, and uh, and they have such uh, great status in the game. And, and it's it's intriguing how many of the the biggest transfers of recent seasons, uh, Gareth Bale being one of them, Neymar another, uh, Philip Coutinho. Alexis Sanchez, these were all headline deals that major clubs competed to achieve and, and there was great upset on the part of, of the clubs losing these players, how all of those players are being shifted out by their current um, employers because they've had enough of them or they're causing problems um, or they can't afford them anymore. Um, it's amazing how, how rapidly the status of these elite players changes in the modern game. So before we leave this particular um, situation, uh, let's just say a plot which Niccolo Machiavelli would have been proud of himself, let's take each of these transfers one by one and try and give our best insight into what might happen and what we want. Coutinho's out of this particular equation because he has confirmed his loan move to Bayern Munich, which of course frees up his salary cap and of course um, a place in the team for the Brazil's problem child, Neymar. We've got nine days left, Duncan. Neymar, I know it's very complex, but do we think that he will indeed get his wish and go back to the camp now? Well, you're almost asking me to do something that I get on Twitter quite a lot, which is put a probability on the, on a transfer. And you know, I see some, uh, I think it's quite popular in Italy to do these marks out of 10 on probability of transfers, and I just find it, um, a pointless exercise <laughs> because you did. I prefer to report how things are. Um, and sure, no, no, no. But I, sp I suppose say say it. But if you're asking me, where does it look like Neymar is going to end up at present? I would say Barcelona have the advantage because they've created the room on their salary cap for him, and he wants to go there. Um, Madrid do not have that space at present. Um, as I said, PSG would like to move him there. Uh, I think the only way he ends up there is if Madrid managed to create that space and PSG hold and hold and hold and say, you do not get to go anywhere uh, unless you go to Madrid. That is your only option now. You've got Real Madrid. We know you want to go to Barcelona. We're not going to sell you to Barcelona. Uh, make your choice. Go, go to Madrid or stay here and have a troubled season. <sighs> I respect your opinion, but I just can't see, I honestly can't see, Duncan, how PSG and Neymar can still be married for the, this coming season. Um, they lost their opening league match um, this weekend. They clearly are being overshadowed by this soap opera that's happening with Neymar. Um, I do think that getting Pelo Dybala in, uh, to PSG to effectively replace him with regards to goals and creativity would be a solution and a, probably a very good solution as well um, and I think that would see Neymar definitely end up at Barcelona I, I think it would get to the point where if Neymar will 
um, absolutely refused to go to, to Madrid on the basis that Barcelona is, is his choice, that rather than keep him, PSG will sell to Barcelona, or not sell, but it's possibly going to be a loan deal with an obligatory purchase clause. So that's how I see that one playing out. Alexis Sanchez is perhaps more straightforward. We know that um, he's not necessarily in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's plans, despite what he says to the contrary, because you know Solskjaer seems to me to be someone who wants to say something positive about everyone. Um, I know you call him the precious one, and I think that's something which he's trying to um, live up to, really, because he doesn't want to, um, you know, take anyone else off. He want just in case he's left with a player like Sanchez, who's unhappy and. You know, his dogs are unhappy as well. He wants to make sure that he's not said anything in public which is going to make Sanchez some kind of outcast. So, Sanchez to Internazionale. Um, as I said, we've had negotiations over two days now. They continue today. What's your view on that, Duncan? Well, I think Solskjaer's playing it as he has to play it. Um, as you say, he could end up being stuck with Sanchez and, and, and almost, it's not it's not a completely being stuck with, he's, he's actually very short or would be very short a numbers experience forwards if Sanchez leaves. Um, they've already sold Lukaku without replacing, like for like. You've got um, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, both of whom started. Um, then you've got Mason Greenwood, who has yet to start a Premier League game in his career and is a, is a teenager. And you've got Daniel James, who has yet to start a Premier League game, um, and uh, and is also uh, very young. So there's not a lot of experience there. He doesn't have a lot of options. And okay, he clearly doesn't want to have Sanchez as a regular starter in his team. That's not the plan. Um, they haven't gone into the window with that idea. The the idea has been to to move the player out. But now he can't add any players, um, and they're making their squad extremely light in terms of forward options if they allow the player to go. So I think there is an element there of, of, of Solskjaer, not just considering I might get stuck with this player, um, so I better say nice things about him. There's probably also an element of I, I could probably do with having him there, although I understand why uh, the, the club want to move him on. And yes, um, Inter are very confident about this. They think it's almost there. But whenever you have a player on such a big salary as he is on, there's going to be an issue. And they're, you know, they want Manchester United to subsidise the deal. And getting clubs to subsidise deals is never a, a simple and straightforward thing. So again, um, it looks like it's headed in one direction, but um, not absolutely guaranteed would be my, my view at present. Very true. Um, I think United would, well, would be hesitant to say the least about subsidising the wages of uh, someone like Sanchez to go play uh, in Italy. However, um, he does seem to be someone who is not popular in the dressing room, who has a bad influence, a negative influence um, on other players, including young players. Uh, his teammates have suspicions about his multiple injuries, which means he can't train or can't play. Um, he's certainly, uh, he doesn't really want to be in Manchester I think moving um, out to a nice house in uh, Lago di Como and playing for Inter would be one of his... Uh, it would certainly perk him up, that's for sure. We can ask our old friend Roger Mitchell to provide some uh, real estate advice for him <laughs> in Humbernatum, uh, where the nice dog-walking areas are, etc., uh, which would certainly cheer him up no end and get him properly back on form. So I think that's one 
obviously we will keep you up to date with um, this week on the Transfer Window podcast. As you know, we've got two more, one Wednesday, one Friday this week, when the window closes on September 2nd in Europe. So, lots of stuff to be happening, I think, in terms of transfers this week. And, of course, another one which still remains just in the ether, Duncan, is Paul Pogba. Um, I think it's interesting, again, what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said uh, over the weekend regarding Pogba. He started to turn it back round on the media. He said, well, you're the guys that are asking questions about him. You're the guys who put the question mark at the end of his future when he was challenged on that and said, well, actually, no, it was Pogba himself who said, who knows what my future holds. Uh, he said, and he was challenged again, will he be here on September the 2nd? And he said, I have no concerns that Paul Pogba will be here. So now, unless um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has that absolute cast-iron guarantee from Ed Woodward and the board that Pogba will not be sold, or whether he's been consulting someone with, I don't know, um, a fortune teller who's saw Pogba in a red shirt in October, then one of those things uh, must be the case if he's going to be so certain about that. I would certainly, if it was me, have hedged my bets a little bit, um, given what we know about Pogba, his agent Mina Raiola, and Real Madrid's interest. And again, as we've just spoken about, with Neymar edging ever closer to move to Barcelona, then the, the, the one piece of the jigsaw left from Madrid to... Um, create their squad to challenge for the coming season is to recruit a creative midfielder um, in either Pogba or potentially Christian Eriksen. Now, we told you on Friday's podcast that our information was that Madrid will make a bid um, for Pogba this week. That's only become stronger uh, in the last two to three days um, from the contacts that uh, we speak to with regards to what's going to happen. Madrid are a club who believe that they, when they come in for a player and the player wants to move, then that that's what usually happens, and that's fair enough. Of course, the problem with they have the same as they had, same as Barcelona had, with regards to getting continuer in order to make space for Neymar, is the salary cap. Um, Duncan, can you see that there being movement or room for movement in the Real Madrid squad now that um, Zinedine Zidane seems to have accepted that Gareth Bale will not leave? and will stay there, and he was obviously the prime candidate to leave the club in order to make room on the salary cap uh, for Pogba, or indeed another player. Can you see them being able to wheel and deal enough in the next nine or so days that that could still be a possibility? Well, I think they've got time and they've got quality players, um, and there's, uh, there's still sufficient clubs in Europe uh, looking to recruit that um, it, it's possible to shift players on, off the books. They might have to do it at, uh, in a fashion where they, they take less cash in terms of loan fees or option to buy um, involved in the deals than they, they would have hoped to, but I don't think it's impossible. Um, in terms of Solskjaer and Pogba, again, I think, um, I think he's saying what he has to say in public um, because it's clear that Manchester United's stance is we do not want to sell this player, we will not sell this player. Um, it's clear Solskjaer's stance has been, I want to keep this player, um, and he's done a lot of work to, to try and convince Pogba he will be central to his team, uh, and he counts on him, and, uh, and it's the right place for him to be. So I think publicly he has to take this line and, uh, and then uh, hope that Pogba and Raiola 
um, don't go nuclear in their attempts to get out of the club. That's the that's the big worry for Manchester United is what how far is our Pogba and Raiola prepared to take it to force a move um, when Madrid make that offer, uh, and then um, do you say stick to your guns and say no, you're not getting to leave. Um, you remain at this club. You're under contract. You will play for the next season, and uh, and see how you manage to deal with them through the season, having having prevented them from going to Madrid in those circumstances. Um, as we said, uh, United have kind of made this rod for their own back by not purchasing at least one midfielder in the summer window, having allowed first Marouane Fellaini and then Ander Herrera, senior players, one of whom. Solskjaer described as vital to his midfield last season um, to leave uh, for minimal fees in the, in those last two windows. So they could have signed a player. Um, they, they need extra players in midfield for sure. Even as the squad stands, they're, they're light in midfielders. But they could have put a prepar- preparatory purchase in place in case something happened with Pogba. And it was <laughs> it's been as clear as you would like that Pogba wanted to go, Raiola was, was agitating for a move. Everyone knew that the English transfer window closed three weeks ahead of the uh, European windows. Uh, so this situation was foreseeable. Um, now they have to to, to ride it and, uh, and see what the outcome is in terms of one of their key players. Because what is absolutely clear is if they do decide to sell Pogba or they lose his full attentions for the season, they're losing their most creative and most important midfielder, or losing um, some of his attention and commitment for the coming season. Uh, if they handle this the wrong way, if he decides to, to go down that line, and that will have significant repercussions for Solskjaer's first full season, for their attempts to get back into the Champions League, um, for their attempts to compete uh, for to be as high up the Premier League as possible with the squad they've got. So interesting, Duncan. Um, I had a chat over the weekend um, during my sort of normal rounds of uh, Premier League football uh, as uh, things happen, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with someone who was um, a central figure in Sir Alex Ferguson's regime um, when he still managed Manchester United. And I had a chat with him about Pogba and the stance and the whole sort of joking between Raiola and the club and everything else, et cetera, et cetera. And that person said to me, very simple solution to this. You just deploy the Cristiano manoeuvre. We all knew Ronaldo wanted to go to Real Madrid. We all knew that Real Madrid was too much of a draw for Cristiano. So what we said was, give us one more season um, and then you will be allowed, we will we will deal both uh, credibly and with reason in terms of the fee, which of course ended up to be £80 million and that was a record transfer at the time. And the transfer will be smooth and you will get your wish. However, you need to knuckle down, give us one great season before you leave, but we will facilitate your transfer. Now, this person, I have to stress, is no longer involved in the politics or indeed the administration of Manchester United, but it seemed to me to be a sensible approach because Pogba is out of contract in the summer of, what, 2021. So he's now entering into the second last year 
of his current contract. Manchester United have yet to offer him a new deal. I think they realise that he doesn't want to be there long term. So is it time for Solskjaer to go to Pogba and say, look, we will facilitate your wishes in nine months' time, ten months' time. But in the meantime, uh, don't make waves. Give us your best. And then your transfer to Madrid, where you want to be, will be facilitated smoothly um, in uh, the next the next summer window, and everyone will get what they want. Would you say that would be a sensible policy, Duncan? Well, two things. Um, first of all, I don't think Solskjaer is in the position. I don't think he has the authority to do that. That's not his decision to make. That's a, a, a key financial decision, a key recruitment decision, and that is Ed Woodward's domain. So um, that would be a strategy that Solskjaer could propose to Woodward, but Woodward would have to sign off on it and the Glazers would have to sign off of it. I think it is sensible in principle. Um, it clearly worked with Cristiano Ronaldo, but you also have to calculate in here that Cristiano Ronaldo is probably the most professional footballer of that level we've seen uh, probably in the history of the game. Um, so his focus on uh, achieving on the field and, and being the best footballer he could be is unparalleled. Um, and Paul Pogba isn't that man. So you're, you're, you're dealing with a different individual there, which doesn't mean he won't respond uh, beneficially for the club, but you have, to, you have to figure that in. I think there's another alternative here, which is they do renew um, Paul Pogba's contract. Uh, they give him a pay rise, which he will want, um, and which obviously his agent will want. They'll give his agent um, another slice of the pizza uh, and another commission on the deal. And then they write into that contract that there's a defined release clause, um, possibly only active for one summer. Um, and, and this is the strategy they used with David De Gea when they, they last um, signed him to an improved deal after he had agreed and after they had agreed to sell him to Real Madrid. The deal fell through at, at the last minute. Um, very soon after that, I think inside a couple of months, he, he signed the, the deal he is on at present at Manchester United. And one of the conditions for signing that deal was, um, I want a defined release clause which allows me to leave to Real Madrid in one year's time in a specific window a specific period of the summer transfer window should Madrid choose to buy me again then and should I choose to go. Uh, that clause was not activated, um, partly because Jose Mourinho and uh, George Mendes, uh, David De Gea's agent, persuaded the player it would be better for his career to remain at Manchester United for, for that um, ongoing period and not take up the option and not agitate to go to Madrid that summer. But you could structure uh, a new deal to keep Pogba happier with that um, set price, let's say 150 million um, would be the, the number, as that's the, the number that's been associated with uh, what Manchester United would be prepared to accept to um, sell the player at the start of this summer. Um, and you move on from there. Well, I. I Take your point, Duncan. I think um, if I were a player at Manchester United, um, and, and also maybe an agent, even Mino Raiola himself, 
if um, if I had the word in the handshake of Sir Alex Ferguson to say, as Cristiano uh, Ronaldo had, that he would be able to leave in one year's time to go to Real Madrid, then I would trust that. But, but I think you're correct. I don't think Solskjaer has that authority. And I also don't believe that um, even Ed Woodward would be able to provide the kind of reassurance that either Iola or Pogba would uh, believe in order to um, give them the uh, belief that that as a, an agreement would be honoured out with what you've just out, uh, said. And that as a contract with a defined release clause and also a release clause which says, if Real Madrid make a bid of X, then I will be allowed to go. <clears throat> and that would be triggered. So that's one, I think, which is... Um, I, I do believe there will be a bid for Madrid this, this week. I'm not sure that um, they have any real sense that they're going to get that deal done because, again, it relies a lot on them getting other players moved out. They're running out of time on that. The salary cap cannot be transgressed. Um, as simple as that. So that whatever uh, deal they have to work out to get Pogba there uh, for the rest of the season is going to be both uh, unlikely and also very complex, given the amount of time we have left. I do think Pogba will probably be a Manchester United player as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hopes um, on September the 3rd. And uh, However, with Madrid, you never know that that kind of club, they've pulled this stuff off before, um, probably even more ridiculous transfers than Paul Pogba, to be fair. And the Figo one from Barcelona was one of the most outrageous in the history of football in terms of the way they did that. So um, I don't think this is um, done and dusted in terms of uh, it not going to happen. I think that we've got some a little bit of storytelling still, uh, information gathering, and of course, bringing that to you over the course of the next few days. And and remember, there's other other players in play here, as we've, we've talked about before. Christian Eriksen um, is an option for Madrid if they cannot sign Pogba. Um, and clearly uh, attainable in the sense that he only has one year left in his contract and would be keen to move. And we've also got Donny van der Beek at um, Ajax, who uh, Madrid have been in negotiations with Ajax about a transfer fee. And Ajax... I believe, remain open to selling the player if the numbers are right for them. Uh, they have been working to uh, convince him to stay for another year before leaving, but um, as, as is generally always the case with Ajax, when the numbers get high enough, uh, they'll take it. So it's um, Neymar, uh, Florentino Perez's option, Pogba, Zinedine Zidane's option, and then if you can't get either of those, get a big name uh, signing in and you fall back to individuals like Ericsson and Van der Beek as alternatives uh, in that scenario. And of course, um, just to reiterate his own comments, Mauricio Pochettino after uh, the weekend's game, the draw against Manchester City, once again called out the uh, Premier League um, by saying it's a massive mistake to allow European transfer window to be open three weeks after it closes in England. I think he said that, obviously, with the view that they might still lose Ericsson. Um, with Coutinho going to Bayern Munich, then that closes off probably that option that Ericsson might move to the Bundesliga. And so, again, if Togba is not, not a realistic option for Madrid, then Ericsson becomes their number one target in terms of a new creative midfielder. Now, Duncan, we've had a lot of um, 
interaction on social media. Uh, you guys know that we love to uh, get in the debate with you. And, of course, the big talking point of last weekend's Premier League was the VAR intervention in the Manchester City versus Tottenham Hotspur game, um, which saw uh, a goal by Gabriel Jesus uh, disallowed for a what was clearly a very, very um, unintentional accidental handball by a Mount Laporte in the build-up. In fact, uh, as I said, we've had lots of um, tweets from you guys, but one from Dev Corey at Decorey uh, asks this question, Duncan, and it's, we know it's not your question's answered, but I think this gives us a good opportunity to get into the debate, and that is scenario. A defender unintentionally handles the ball in the box on a corner kick, allowing them to gain possession. Immediately, boots it clear to their striker who scores on the counter-attack. The goal-scoring chance retroactively makes it a handball, so ref awards a penalty, question mark. Yes, um, the listeners uh, spotted a one of many flaws in this new handball rule we have. Um, we talked, I think, back in May about uh, the issues that we're going to have with the changes to the handball rule. We did quite an extensive bit in the podcast about it and predicted that it would cause mayhem in the Premier League once it was introduced. Um, I think our predictions have been borne out. The first two weeks of the season, we get uh, goals cancelled um, for Wolves and Manchester City um, because of clearly unintentional handballs that nobody um, on the pitch officials and players combined saw um, only when the VAR um, looked at the, these goals subsequently did they detect that the ball had struck um, Willie Bolly and Emeric Laporte's hand uh, before going to a teammate who scored and this has been um, interpreted by Premier League officials as being um, illegal under the new rules and I think um, Premier League has gone out of its way to communicate that this season um, goals would not be allowed uh, if they came off an attacker's hand uh, directly into the net or if they came off a teammate's hand before the attacker scored and they've been clear in that communication that it's been um, I think very well understood by uh, the general public and um, well understood by the referees and, uh, and their video assistant referees. However, um, the Laporte incident at the weekend caused me to actually go and look at the law as reframed again and ask whether it had been correctly um, cancelled. Um, because the kind of assumption was uh, if it touches a teammate's hand in the build-up, then it can't be a goal. And I said, OK, right, so how is this expressed in the law? And reading the law, it seems to me that that was incorrect. And the law is not actually framed in that way. It's very specific, um, the language used. And the, the language is, is that handling the ball is an offence. It is an offence if a player gains possession control of the ball after it has touched their hand arm and then creates a goal-scoring opportunity. So you ask yourself the question, did a player, Laporte, gain possession control of the ball? Well, I don't think he did gain possession or control of the ball because the ball bounced off him. Um, he, sub he certainly, after 
um, the ball hit him. Uh, he did not um, then create a goal-scoring opportunity having gained controlled possession of the ball. The ball, again, it bounced off him and went to Gabriel Jesus, who then uh, scored. So, according to the letter of the law, as framed, he hasn't actually broken the law. It's not the case. The law does not say if the ball comes off um, one of your teammates and you score um, off his hand or arm, whether deliberate or not, that is uh, a foul. That's not what the law says. Um, so it makes me wonder whether the Premier League has stepped over the boundaries here um, in that they wanted this rule changed. The, the rule was changed on their behalf because they, want, they felt it was unfair that players could score um, a goal after a ball um, bounces off their hand like Willie Bolly did in the Premier League last season. They seem to have um, overextended themselves there and gone beyond just the scoring of a goal with the hand and they've taken it into um, an attempt to make it the, the creation of a goal-scoring opportunity with a hand. And obviously they haven't considered the repercussions of this because you're seeing the repercussions now. You've got two weeks in a row where you've got um, what would be seen as perfectly good goals last season. And I think what most players on the pitch regard as perfectly good goals because they realise what happened there was accidental. Uh, both Bolly and um, Laporte had no control over what happened. It's a bounce of, of the ball in the box. You see players pointing out that you've got an unfair situation and that if it bounces off a defender in that circumstance, there's no foul. But if it bounces off a, an attacker, it is a foul. There's been, been various complaints. But I, I think that one, they've made a mess of the rule, as we pointed out several months ago. Two, they're not even applying the new rule properly. And when you throw VAR on top, and VAR is detecting things that nobody saw because they're so marginal, um, they're so unobvious that nobody on the pitch is aware of them when they happen. Um, then you've got a, you know, a, a triple header of, of, um, of disaster and mess, which is, um, is not benefiting the game, it's making the game worse. And once again, Duncan, we're in a situation where um, pre-VAR, we had the laws of the game and the spirit of the game. So the interpretation of the referee um, of the laws of the game was enshrined in the spirit of the game. And under those laws and under that understanding, Amert Laporte was in no way responsible for his arm hitting the ball. It was ricocheted. He had no way of moving it out of the way. And therefore, the ball dropped fortuitously at Gabriel Jesus' feet, who then scores an added time winner from Manchester City. The goal would have been awarded. Not one single player on either side appealed against that. But of course, we now have the obligatory VAR check. They spot what is clearly unintentional, and I would argue not even accidental. He couldn't get his hand, any, his arm out anywhere near out the way of that ball, even if he wanted to because of the speed of the delivery. And yeah, the, as, the, as, as Kevin De Bruyne very nicely put it after the game, what can he do? Should he chop his arm off and play without it? Exactly correct. So, in that sense, are we robotising football now because of the um, the wishes of the people who administer the game, in this case UEFA, the Premier League and FIFA, in order to somehow 
in their eyes, provide what they believe is black and white decision making, that which is infallible, which I think we've all seen is not the case. Um, but are we effectively bowing down to that on the basis that, well, people can't call us wrong because we've made the rule, we've implied that we've enforced the rule and the rule is there and it stands as it is? Look, I think, I think VAR added to a, a badly constructed rule is just is double jeopardy for the, for the Premier League because and, and and this game on Saturday was a great example of it because the game is decided because of a VAR decision, um, which I would argue was an incorrect interpretation of the law. But set that aside for now. It's decided because of a VAR decision on something that nobody saw and nobody appealed for. Yet in the first half of the same match, there is a a, a foul or an apparent foul by Eric Lamella on Rodri in the box where he wraps both arms around Rodri. Um, it's not an absolute stonewall penalty kick for me, um, partly because of the way the Premier League referees game. So the Premier League does tend to be tolerant of these things. Previous weekend, we saw Harry Maguire wrap his arms around Tammy Abraham on the edge of the, the Manchester United box. No foul was given. Maguire gets the ball uh, and uh, passes up the field. Manchester United score, so you can get away with that in the Premier League. But it was the kind of thing that people expect to be re-refereed by VAR um, when VAR is there. Um, they expect that to be uh, to have Michael Oliver go to the side of the pitch and look at the monitor and have another look at the. The, the, the evidence and, and decide for himself whether he was correct or not. Premier League have decided they don't want pitch side monitors to be used um, because it interferes with the flow of the game. I agree with that. Um, it, it's better if you don't use pitch side monitors, but it would be better if you didn't have VAR altogether. Once you have VAR there, the expectation from the fans is that it will be used. And when they see something as, as clearly controversial as the, the Lamella foul on Rodley, Rodri not being penalised, and then in the same game, VAR intervenes to get to, to stop the winning goal um, seconds before the end of the game on something that nobody saw, they rightly ask questions about whether this, how is this system supposed to be benefiting the, the game. Um, and how, how does it make it better for the players? How does it make it better for the spectators? Um, and that's the point. That's why VR was supposed to be brought in. It was supposed to make the game better. If it doesn't make the game better, why are we wasting our time with it? Just to complicate things even further, Duncan, I'm going to give you another hypothetical situation because I think this is important in terms of the discussion that's been had uh, since the match on Saturday evening. When VAR reviewed Jesus' goal and they found that uh, Merrick Laporte had inadvertently used his arm or not used his arm, had come off his arm in order to provide the um, assist as they now claim, which was illegal. What if that ball had come off a Spurs player's arm and went to Jesus and then Jesus still scores the goal under the old rulings the advantage would have been played because the player in possession of the ball had a goal-scoring opportunity. But under the new handball rules, a penalty would have been given and Spurs would have been within their right to say, no, that's not a goal, 
that's a penalty, in which case Hugo Lloris has got a chance to save it. Well, I think in those circumstances, the referee would be allowed to play advantage. Um, so he, he can't Well, you say that, but Spurs would be missing the right to say, sorry, the rules of the game say a handball, whether accidental or not, in the lead-up to a goal, has to provide the proper decision, in which case a penalty. Well, I think in that case, he can play advantage. You can't ignore it. What is an issue there is how the ball hits the arm of the defender. Um, but that's not an issue. Hang on, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's not an issue in the case of Laporte because how the ball hits him is yes. an immediate disallowed a goal. So you yeah. are between a rock and a hard place there. Yeah, exactly. So you have different handball rules in different circumstances for different teams. And this, I think the point of our listener here is brilliant. And I, I am sure that IFAB did not consider this when they brought in the, the, the new rule. So what the listener is saying is, um, imagine that ball coming into the box again and it hits Oliver Skip's arm, um, which... It, from the video evidence, there's a suggestion it actually did hit the ball, hit his arm, um, as well as um, hitting Laporte's arm in this game. But let's just turn it into it. It hits Skip's arm and drops to Skip so that he gains possession. He kicks it down the field uh, to Harry Kane, for example. Harry Kane then um, lobs it over Ederson and scores a goal. Now, under the new rules, he will have handled the ball um, accidentally, so not a foul um, against him uh, for the accidental handball in itself. That can be ignored by the referee. But once he gains possession of it and kicks it to his teammate and his teammate scores, because his teammate has scored, it becomes a foul. Because once you've created a clear goal-scoring opportunity, having gained control of the ball, it's a foul. Where does that foul take place? It takes place in the penalty area. Therefore, it's a penalty to um, Manchester City after Tottenham score a goal off an accidental handball by the defender in his own box. So <laughs> the, the, the rule, this is, this is the thing about changing rules, and football rules have not changed radically in the past. The, the rules are, have been very gradually adapted in over a course of years, um, and usually with experiments going on in advance to see if they work or not. Um, and suddenly we've got these radical rewrites of the rules at the same time as we're taking a radical way of deploying the rules, which is VAR, all, all simultaneously. And this is why you don't want to radically rewrite rules, because you don't understand the consequences until you put them in play. People are not foreseeing the issues they're creating by changing the rules. And when you overcomplicate things, you get controversy um, and not, you know, not enjoyable, not, uh, not, not the kind of good controversy that we, we like in football. It's the, why on earth are we doing this? Why, why on earth do we have these issues with something that should be clear-cut and straightforward and consistent, which is the laws of the game? Well, in summary, um, don't apologise for saying that I'm a firm believer that football is a game played by humans, refereed by humans, and humans are not perfect, and therefore mistakes can be made. But as long as they're honest mistakes, then, you know, let it ride, let it ride. And so uh, VAR will continue. 
to be a topic of discussion on the transfer window over the course of this season. Uh, we obviously invite you to continue that debate with us because we believe that these things should be discussed. And of course, in doing so on a public forum, then, you know, don't, don't get us wrong. People in the places of authority will see the discussion and perhaps they will think again and we will see some kind of change or at least a developmental um, position on technology and football. For now, we did no technology to discuss our heroes and villains because it is Monday's podcast and we're going to tell you who we think have been the good and the bad and possibly the ugly of the last few days. Uh, I'm going to invite Duncan to give us this week's villain because he is, of course, the arch-villain himself um, when it comes to uh, Manchester City fans. So (laughs) he'll be glad to know that he's not going to be a Manchester City player, I think. Is that correct, Duncan? Um, yeah, well, the arch villain, except when discussing the handball rule, it seems quite hard. It seems, yeah, it seems, it seems you're very popular when discussing the handball, yeah. <laughs> Just through the swings and roundabouts and the uh, swings and arrows of fortune. And the Tottenham fans loved me when I was discussing the handball rule after the Champions League final. There you go. Quite so happy now. Independent. <laughs> we always take the independent rational line on the transfer window podcast. Exactly, we do. If only everyone recognised that. Um, the villain of the week for me would be Danny Ings um, for that open goal he missed um, in the final minutes against Liverpool Um, perhaps remembering his time as a Liverpool striker um, and uh, performing in similar fashion to his his, uh, his several seasons there um, which allowed uh, which allowed Liverpool to get away with a very good result I mean it's an impressive win to come off uh, an extra time uh, trip to Istanbul um, in uh, high temperatures uh, and have to play on Saturday um, at a difficult away venue. Um, and they were, you know, Southampton had the better of the first half, but Liverpool, as they often do, uh, conjured up uh, an excellent goal from Sadio Mane to put themselves ahead and look comfortable until um, Adrian did his um, Alison Becker act. Um, but yeah, fill in the week, Danny Ings, for that miss. Maybe just saw the live bird on the badge and thought, and, and just you know transported himself back, back to the heydays <laughs> of Danny Ings at Anfield. Um, very good. Well, I'm going to go for another Danny for the hero, um, and that is our old friend Danny Alves, who made his Sao Paulo debut uh, last weekend. This is a man who has won 40 trophies, major trophies, as a player. Currently, the most for any active player. He didn't play in his normal position. He played in central midfield. And he's older than he was last season, by the way, people, like we all are. And he scores the winning goal on his debut. And the entire bench, please look up on social media. Just type in Alves Sao Paulo. Look at the way they celebrated it. It was like, yeah, I don't know, they'd won the Copa America on their own in terms of uh, not even being a, a nation state uh, team, or so I should say the Copa Libertadores um, despite the fact it was just his first game. Sensational. Uh, Danny we salute you, we love you come on the podcast soon, we know you're a big fan And I've got a little half hero for this week um, I, I want to give Michael Oliver an award despite his um, his decision on that penalty kick call against uh, 
Uh, Rodri, I want to give him a special award for booking Raheem Sterling for his first tactical foul of the Manchester City game at the weekend. I think that's a very positive forward move for Premier League referees and uh, hopefully he won't be the only one who does it going forward. Well, there goes my donkey award for Wednesday, people. Uh, Duncan spoiled it already. Uh, I was hoping to sneak that one in there, but uh, obviously it's going to be something different. If you've got any suggestions, then please get in touch on at Transfer Podcast. Uh, if you get any suggestions as well for um, questions, for your questions answered on Wednesday's podcast, again, go to our at Transfer Podcast Twitter handle or indeed to Duncan at Duncan Castles and to me at Garbo SJ. We'll continue the debate from today's podcast and we will hopefully receive some interesting questions as we did from Dev Corey today. So we got we, we put a, an extra one in for you there um, just to uh, illustrate how much we listen to you guys because it's important that you give us your views and we will discuss them. If you've loved the podcast, and we know you love the podcast, give something back, get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. We can enlarge and bring more people into this wonderful community of people who love to talk about football. That's all for today's podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you through the window then. As for now, thanks for listening. (laughs) 